and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm Lori LeBay, the host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks. I'm also the daughter of a mother who lived with the disease for 30 years. Um, so I, I, get, I get what families go through. And now I am, a, I guess, an advocate on steroids for the disease, trying to raise everyone's voice and, and really match people up with the services, products, and tools they need because I, I felt that that was missing for, for our family. So welcome to the show today. We are going to have a wonderful conversation, and we are going to be talking about living fully and leveraging faith and self-care with dementia and uh, I think it's going to be a very helpful, helpful conversation uh, for everyone. I also like to thank our audience each and every time we do a show, because without you, we would be nothing. You guys have spread the word of our show, and we have people listening to it all over the world. So, again, thank you so much. And if you think you might want to be on the show and have a story to tell, please reach out to me, because everyone is welcome, those living with the disease, those caring for somebody, both personally or professionally, um, researchers we have had, movie directors and singers and songwriters and authors and all different types of businesses making a difference. Uh, so please, again, just uh, contact me. Go to alzheimerspeaks.com. There's a big contact button there. You can also call into the show if you'd like today and make a comment or ask a question. And that number is 323-870-4602. That's 323-870-4602. I am going to give a shout out to a few organizations before I introduce our guests. Um, First is just a reminder that Dementia Action Alliance is doing their second Northern American Dementia Conference June 20th through the 22nd in Atlanta, Georgia. And you can go to daa.now or daanow.org and uh, find information out about that, uh, that conference. They feature a lot of people with dementia actually speaking there. I also want to um, highlight that Jennifer Fitzpatrick is still doing her virtual book club on cruising through caregiving. That actually ran, started at May 15th and goes through August 28th. And you can find more information um, on my homepage about that. You can also find information about um, Alzheimer's Disease International. They are doing a survey, and they really need to know what you think about dementia. Um, along with Stall Catchers, which is a, a memory, uh, it's, a, it's a research game that actually analyzes real um, Alzheimer's data. And you can find, again, a, um, a graphic for cruising through caregiving, uh, the ADI uh, survey and stall catchers on the homepage of alzheimerspeaks.com. So let's get started with the show today. It's going to be a fun one. I have been very anxious uh, to have these guests on because I think they're doing some really neat stuff and, and providing some services that are truly needed. Uh, today we have Dr. Uh, Freyan uh, Epps, and she has over 18 years of nursing experience. She is currently serving as the assistant professor at the Georgia State University, <clears throat> and uh, she is also an affiliate faculty with the uh, Gerontological Institute and um, partnership for urban health research. Um, Dr. Epps is also an active member with numerous professional organizations from the Gerontological Society of America to the Southern Gerontological Society. And her career goals as a nurse scholar is really to promote health across the lifespan and to increase quality of life for family caregivers in recognizing that multidimensional complexity of supporting older adults through nursing research, education, and services. Dr. Epps um, has a program of research which involves evidence-based practices for promoting quality of life for African Americans with dementia and their family caregivers. And let me tell you, this research is so badly needed. We 
you know, they are twice as likely to um, get dementia and, you know, their odds are higher and we have to be able to support them. She is currently working on a project with faith communities to develop dementia-friendly faith villages to support African-American families living with dementia. And I can't wait to hear about that. And then she leads a collaboration of, uh, called the Faith Village Connection and, again, works with lots of uh, faith congregations in her, in her area. So welcome. Um, welcome to the show today. How are you doing, Dr. Epps? I am doing good. Thank you so much, Lori, for having me. Well, thrilled to have you with us. And like I said, I can't wait to um, hear hear what all you are working on because it's uh, it's a very very exciting uh, some very very exciting projects that you have going there. So let me go ahead and and introduce our um, our other guest today, and we have with us. Um, a retired Army colonel, uh, Camille White, and she has been the primary caregiver for her mother since um, 2004. And uh, Ms. White is also a very active community educator for the Alzheimer's Association of the Georgia Chapter. And she loves educating the community and truly believes in an, that an educated population is more likely to um, to support and make good decisions for those they're caring for. So welcome to the show. How are you doing today, Camille? I am doing very well, and I just want to thank you for this opportunity so I can share with the community. Well, great. Well, thank you. I'm going to go ahead and, and start with you, Camilla, if you don't mind um, just telling our audience if you um, how you've been personally touched by dementia um, and and how that's affected you. Well, I am personally touched by dementia, uh, one of the 70 different types of dementias, which is Alzheimer's, and that's through my father, who is deceased. He passed in 2017, but not of Alzheimer's. He passed of heart failure, but we watched him decline with heart failure as well as the effects of uh, Alzheimer's. And now I've been caring for my mom since 2014, who was initially diagnosed by her uh, doctor, with just some sort of dementia. As early as 2017, she was actually diagnosed with full-blown Alzheimer's. So I've watched her decline from walking and talking like you and I do every day uh, to where she's wheelchair, totally wheelchair-bound now, and her articulation of her conversations, uh, we have to actually help her with now. So it is... uh, very dear and near to my heart, and I am definitely a number one advocate for Alzheimer's. Great. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. I'm going to ask Dr. Ebbs uh, the same question, and again, that is, um, have you been personally touched by any form of dementia in your family or circle of friends? I'm, as it relates to being personally touched would be, I'll, I'll call it after the fact, um, you know, my aunt was found uh, deceased in her home, and um, come to find out uh, a year or two later, I brought up and I asked her daughter, did my aunt have dementia? She said, oh, yes, but she never shared it with no one. And so she was very contrary, and she didn't let no one in. And so she was in her house for a couple of days before someone said, let's go in and check. And, you know, that really touching and really moved me forward with um, trying to work with the African-American community. But before this, um, I've only read about it and said, how can this be affecting affecting the African-American community? And we don't know about it. And so that's what initially got me started is with me getting into the literature and my own family and my own network, not knowing how this is really impacting us. Like you said, um, African-Americans are twice more likely to be affected with um, Alzheimer's disease or any form of dementia. So um, that that's how I came into this and why I'm also strongly working with Camilla and others um, to advocate for this disease. Well, I, I thank you both for doing that because this is just such critical work and we, we need to 
to somehow embrace the the African American um, community and and know that let them know that there's supports out there or structure ones that will better meet their needs. Um, that's just an important important factor and. Um, I just, like I said, I was so thrilled to make contact with you because this is a conversation that is had a lot of times with groups and say, how do how do we reach this community? Because they're they're they don't seem like they're they're joining in, and and we've we've had to make some changes for um, other other um, cultures and things too in terms of what their needs are, and and some and some families just hold it really tight to the vest. You know, we're gonna we're gonna handle this ourselves. So. Um, I, like I said, I can't wait to have this conversation. Um, Dr. Epps, I want to talk to you um, first about the importance of church and how that affects our elders in our community and, and maybe how we can leverage that faith community um, in congregations to support people with dementia. What, what are you seeing in, in that realm? Well, um, just starting off with the church, um, a lot of um, persons, older generation, church is really important for them. But specifically in the African-American community, it has uh, a lot of history behind that because this has been the safe haven, um, like a refuge for them. And then also it's a place you go for resources. So, I mean, that's the history of it. Like you always go to church for help, for support. And um, that's what people do. But now since we're being a faith with Alzheimer's disease and other dementias, they're going to church, but the churches are unaware, just like mm-hmm. a lot of the community is unaware, and they don't have the resources, they don't have the support, and they don't know that um, caring for somebody with dementia is a little bit different than caring for someone with another chronic illness, and there's different resources that are needed, and then how the church itself can help support um, support them. And then I look at beyond the resources, also the worship experience and being involved in the church, how meaningful that can be for that person living with dementia. And so those are the things that I'm really trying to get at. And um, why I focus on the church again is because it's been the cornerstone of the black community. And why not start right there? Yeah, that that just makes so much sense. I've got a, a gal up here in Minnesota that wants to, and she was a um, music therapist, and she wants to start a, a service specifically for people with dementia. And so she's going to get her, her license um, to be a pastor, and uh, it should be really interesting because she says, you know, what she's finding is that um, the church that that she was going to and others that she visited just really weren't meeting the needs. And and then, like you said, there's a lot of them that are going to church, but nobody really knows or is talking about what's really going on. And I think that that, that can be very common. And, and many times churches feel like they're supporting people. I'll never forget I was talking um, oh, to, a, to a, a group of alumni at our university here in Minnesota, and I was talking about memory cafes, and one woman stood up and said, oh, we're, we've got a memory cafe, and, you know, we're really proud of it, but it was in the, the basement of the church, and she said, so no one will know, and I said, well, that, I said, it's wonderful that you're supporting them, but part of what we're trying to do is break out that fear of anybody having to know and really embracing and understanding the disease. So I think sometimes there's a confusion um, in terms of what is what is really helpful and how can we how can we help people with that? Have you found any challenges um, in terms of dealing with the, the faith communities? Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's challenge dealing with any community, but especially the faith community, because, again, that lack of knowledge. Um, so once we bring the knowledge, it's um, as I'm developing this dementia-friendly faith village or faith uh, community, I I want them to be able to really embrace these families. And so it just takes time. And I had one bishop tell me, he had to remind me, <laughs> Now, Dr. Epps, you know this is an evolving process. It's not going to just happen overnight. <laughs> so it just <laughs> takes time, and, you know, we're learning as we go. 
And Mm -hmm. that's what I had to realize, you know, there's a lot of literature out there. This is what should happen. But each faith community is different um, based on the location where they're at, the community that they serve. So it takes time to adapt things. Um, And, you know, that's where we're at right now. We're just trying to go through this. And one of the things, Lori, you brought up, um, like you said, someone having something in the basement. One of the key things that um, my research is doing is we're integrating it. So we've decided, I have a design team, 12-member design team, and we've decided to integrate the services. So we plan to help the bishops and pastors modify the services, but it's going to be integrated into their normal services, weekly services. So it won't be separating anyone out. Um, mm-hmm. So families can really feel that, okay, the church is really trying to do something, you know, and it's nothing special. Um, no one's going to be looking at no one differently. And so that's what we're working on right now. Um, and I'm working with two non-denominational churches and one Catholic church, which I was very, very surprised when they said we're going to integrate it in one of our um Masses that we already have, and um, I, I was surprised and excited for that. Oh, that that's very that, that's a big process. So when you when you talked about you know the bishop saying it's not going to happen overnight, um, that's very true. And I think that's one of the things um, I love about kind of grassroots efforts is that they just evolve, and that's really where I've immersed myself in is um, because we can push things through, I think, a little faster because we, we, we don't have to go through the bureaucracy. Sometimes it's, it's necessary with other forums. But I think the realization with, with anything new is really tapping into the resources you have along with the, the people with the passion and then just pick something and, and start it and then just keep pushing forward and more and more people become attached to the group and the movement and, you know, they see the difference and they appreciate the change instead of sometimes I think we're, we feel forced that we have to have certain names or titles or, or um, companies or organizations in order to be validated. And I think people with passion can just, they can just get people to not only see it, but feel the need for the change. And, and I think that that is so so powerful. Um, I want to just uh, pull in uh, Camilla here and see if she has anything to add regarding regarding churches. Have you um, been involved with any of the church-based yourself or faith-based, Camilla? Yes, uh, I support uh, Faywan in her efforts. Uh, I take my mom uh, to a particular church, and uh, they uh, really they really take care of mom when she gets there. Uh, we go to uh, several churches, and everybody's been very warm and welcoming uh, as they, as mom has identified someone who has Alzheimer's. They take her as I go to park my car. They make her comfortable. They ensure that uh, she's uh, not sitting all the way down front and maybe like uh, in the middle. Instead of leaving her in a wheelchair so she doesn't feel isolated in the aisle, to actually take her out the wheelchair and uh, place her in a seat. Uh, and if I have to lay out a uh, one of those uh, pads on the seat, the church is fine with that. And that I really applaud them for uh, because a lot of the churches will say, oh, you can't do that. She's going to mess up our seat. But, no, they have actually welcomed my mom into their home. So that is a really big plus across the board. Okay, wonderful. Um, well, thank you for that. Um, Dr. Uh, Epps, you're working towards um, some new research right now to equip faith communities in becoming dementia-friendly faith villages. Tell us more about that initiative, please. Okay. Yeah, so we kind of started talking about it a little bit, but um, I've worked with some stakeholders in the community to come up with a checklist of what things may need to happen in the environment and then specifically with the uh, worship service. And we're right now trying to um, implement that. And, you know, we before we implemented the churches that we're working with, they had to attend a dementia-friendly uh, church leader 
training mm-hmm. or workshop, you can say, and it's a four-hour workshop that we ask the ministry leaders to attend and also the ushers or hospitality members. So in that workshop, we're really going through a lot of role play and um, educating them so they'll know how to really welcome the families and what to do if certain behaviors do arise. Um, and then I also meet with the senior leaders one-on-one again. <laughs> um, I have to consistently do that because it has to come from the the pulpit um, that this is what they're doing and this is the initiative for everyone else to grasp it. Um, and they, some churches have put information on their website. Some have, you know, put up resources within the church. So these certain things that they will do. Um, so they can support the families. And so that's one of the biggest things that um, we are doing. And I'm constantly providing education, especially to the hospitality, the greeters, and the ushers, because that is really, really key to be very um, consistent with that and provide them literature and the latest things so that they can welcome the families. Wonderful. Now, is that four-hour training, is that something that you personally developed? or? Yeah, so that was the, the, the collaborative, me and um, four other ladies. We came together and we, we put it together. Two of the um, members of the collaborative are eating at home uh, mm-hmm. associates. So um, we put it together and then we brought in some information from the Alzheimer's Association. So we kind of put that together ourselves and um, we offer it. Okay. Now, are you are you connected at all with Us Against Alzheimer's a clergy group at all? No, I just follow them, but okay. not directly connected. Okay, because I think they'd be really interested in talking with you. Um, and, you know, because that's something I know that they feel very strongly about and they've put out a, a couple of different books. I think on the other one is going to be launching later. Is it this month or next month? Um, but um, I, I think that um, if you're interested, I, I think that they would be very, very interested in in working with you because they're looking to to expand that and and also um, they're also looking to reach more of the African American families as well um, because they've got an African American group as well. Um, within uh, the Us Against Alzheimer's uh, format as well. So I just thought I'd throw that out there. And I, I love that you're doing the, the role playing and that you understand the importance of, you know, going through the hierarchy and it really has to has to stem down. But yet those frontline people, like the greeters and the ushers, are really the key ones implementing and and making people feel comfortable from the get-go and, and throughout the service. If, if there would be a problem, they're kind of the, the hands, on, hands on the ground there. So um, that, is, that is really, really neat. Now, when you, when you talk about, um, you know, the, the faith village concept, a lot of people think of, you know, the dementia-friendly village, you know, um, Overseas, and there's a, there's one in Canada now where people are actually living on site and stuff. But you're looking at more uh, a village of faith communities that are are providing services and worship services um, and support services within their own, um, I guess, church grounds and in hierarchy versus a, a residential site. Correct. Correct. And so it goes back to that proverb that it takes a village. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so that's why we use the village uh, term as a work with the uh, faith community because within that church setting, we wanted people to know that it's just not the family that's caring for that person that's living with dementia. Um, it's not just the responsibility of the senior leader, neither. You know, it really takes the village of the church. And so it takes mm-hmm. all the congregation or parishioners to be involved to support these families. And so that's where we use the term village at. So thank you for bringing that up so I can offer that clarification because a lot of people, they get kind of confused as it relates to the um, the other things like you're saying that is going on. 
Yeah, because some churches will build like senior buildings and, and different types. And so, um, and who knows, maybe that'll be something that'll sprout out of this. You know, when you when you get these communities, um, these these congregations working together to, to do something even, even bigger and more collaborative down the road. You know, Lord only knows <laughs> what's, what's possible. Yes, and I'm going to come back to you, Lord. Yes, like, Lord, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that so. be fun? Um, now, now when it comes to the research part of this what types of things are you are you looking at collecting I would imagine you're counting the number of people being trained and things like that but what else are you are you looking at are you looking at the the way um, specifically the the worships are are performed and and how people are reacting to them or um, yes just curious if you can share a little more on that. Yes, yes, yes. No, no problem. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm really specifically looking at that the worship service, so I am tracking up everything that we're implementing. But I, um, I'm following the families throughout the worship service. So I'm asking families to attend at least six worship services over six months because, again, these are not the churches that they probably um, are members of. Um, so it's another church that has agreed to work with me. So it's six services over six months. And before they attend, the caregivers fill out a battery of surveys where we're looking at anxiety, burden, stress, and then they're also reporting on the any uh, behavior um, of their a family member that's living with dementia. And then after the six months, they will fill those out again. So I'm trying to see if there is a, a change. And I know right now what I've seen in the families, it will be amazed because throughout every, every service I'm there, and I also do observation. So I'm paying attention to the type of sermon, the type of music, how long um, is uh, praise and worship or how long the choir sings. I pay attention to interaction between the uh, care partner, family member, and the person living with dementia, along with the interaction with other members of the church and the um, senior pastor. And so I pay attention to all of that. And what I've noticed is when they're in church, it's we got so much literature about music. We know what music can do for someone that's living with dementia. But I've seen it beyond the music. I have seen people fully engaged throughout the service. Um, and our service is more than 15 or 20 minutes because a lot of people say we have to shorten it. But I've had one service that they went against. We try our best to keep it at 75 minutes, but um, mm-hmm. sometimes that's hard. It's evolving. Remember that, Lori. <laughs> so, <laughs> but there's one time service was a full two hours. And you know, the wife had already told me it's not going to happen, but I'm going to try it out just for you. And uh, her her husband was fully engaged the full two hours, um, responded to everything, gave his testimony. I mean, it was just amazing to see um, the reaction. And it was, again, beyond just the praise and worship, but beyond the music. It was also being engaged in the sermon and every other aspect of the worship service. And so those are the things that I'm, I'm, I am tracking so we can really have some evidence to see what, what it really is and how important that this can be, especially for practitioners. Right now, you know, we might say, oh, do some devotion or do this, but I want to actually show and have the evidence to see, to share how important this is. And to get families back involved in the churches and to get churches excited to learn and see how they can support these families. Oh, that's fantastic. And I'm not surprised that they can last a little longer either because, you know, those things are so ingrained in us. And like you said, with the music or, you know, the the prayer, the praise, the, the different pieces, you know, so much of that is rote. Um, within us. I mean, it, it's been there for years and years and years. So that goes back to old memory that that is lost last. And um, so I'm I'm not surprised. And I think there's just a great, you know, it's, it's a comfortable place. It's a safe place to be. And and so that helps too when they're when they're in that comfortable environment. So 
Um, I, I think it'll be fascinating research. Um, Cindy Lazinski, I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she's with uh, the uh, Northern Colorado Dementia Friendly Group. And they do something through the symphony, and they've been checking even, I want to say they've even checked, like, blood pressures, and they kind of have, like, a little stress survey for both the person with dementia and the um, the care partner. And they, they check them before and after, and she said the results have been fascinating. And they had the symphony, um, and um, some businesses donated the tickets, and people can come, but the, the results have just been, you know, off the hook in terms of what it's done for those families. Um, and I think you're going to end up with the same type of results. I'll be real surprised if you, if you don't, you know, with all yeah, of that. That's okay. Yeah. And then I am, I'm glad you brought that up because I am working with a faculty at Georgia Tech for us to develop um, where we can collect data on the person living with dementia through a bio patch. So we mm-hmm. can also monitor the stress levels before, during, and after worship service as well. So we're in the process of developing that. And so hopefully, you know, I will have that, those results also to share and support how um, this really impacts the family. Oh, cool. Well, you'll have to come back when that's all collected for sure and, and share that information. I'm going to um, talk to Camilla here for just a second, and I wanted to see um, – Camilla, have you been involved with any of the, the church services with your with your mother at all? Yes. Um, I take my mom to church just about every Sunday, ever since I uh, can remember. And, yes, uh, some activities really stimulate mama, especially the singing. Uh, she does not like to sit alone. In some churches we've been to, they actually will roll her down and park her in a line with everybody else that's in a walker. Mama does not take too very kindly to that. She wants to be taken out of it and put into a seat because she's comfortable. She feels like she's a part of and not isolated. So, yes, I, I am deeply involved with my mom in church. Oh, yeah, and, and I can, I would be the same way. I wouldn't want to be separated from who, who I came with. <laughs> you know, you want to you want to still belong and, and have that sense of dignity. So that just, just totally makes sense. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you was, you know, what are some of the things that you find really challenging as a care partner and as a primary um, caregiver? Um, I, I think there's a, lo- a lot of people out there feeling like they're all alone and no one else is going through this. And I think they're surprised once they connect with others that, oh, my gosh, I'm not alone. <laughs> this is common. Um, what, are, what are some of the, the challenges that, that you've run into and that, that you've heard others um, are struggling with as well? Well, I definitely agree with you to let the world know that they're not alone. And I thought I was alone when I first uh, started taking care of my mom. I was totally lost. I didn't know where to go. But there's a lot of help out there for them as well. But what I've found most challenging um, over the years that I've uh, checked my mom was to remember that it is not her. It is the disease. And that's hard to do, and you have to separate the differences there when you're caring for your loved ones. Uh, because it gets really hard. Some things that they actually do, you can say to yourself, oh, my gosh, did that just really occur? And you have to take a step back and say, oh, my gosh, it did occur, but it is the disease and that's not my mom. And then the other one I've found to be very challenging is the financial piece. It is a financial burden. Uh, regardless of what they have in place, it is, a, it is a financial burden for your loved one as well as the care partner, either when you're in the role of the actual caregiver. So those are the two that I found to be most challenging when, since I've been taking care of my mom. Okay. When you're, when you're out, um, you know, talking and educating people, do you have any suggestions for them to, to deal with those two kind of categories of, of challenges? Yes, as a community educator for the uh, Alzheimer's Association, uh, the Georgia chapter, I go out, go throughout the entire state of Georgia, wherever they need me to go, to educate the population on Alzheimer's and dementia. And my biggest uh, reference to them is the Alzheimer's Association to me is a, is a, is a secret. It's a jewel. 
A lot of people don't know about it. They don't know about the resources uh, that are available. So I always give out the 800 number for them to call. But I also revert back to my own personal experiences. I tell them what I went through and what resources that I'm actually utilizing because I know those resources work. And that is best for them out there because they say, okay, fine, you've utilized this agency before. You know it works. So they look forward to that, and, I, and I, that's why I'm so glad I'm in it because what I tell them, they know it's coming from the heart because I've actually experienced it. But that's how I handle my references, letting them know where they need to go. It's where I've been already. Yeah, well, and I've heard just um, great, great accolades for the, the 1-800 number for people calling in who just need answers right away. Um, I, I, I travel around the country and speak, and, and people just marvel at that that particular resource in and of itself where they can call in and, and have, have a live person to talk to and, and talk them, you know, maybe off the, off the ledge, you know, if they're really starting to get burnt out um, and help yeah, them with resources. Yes, because you can get burnt out, and I know when you call that 800 number, it's 24-7, you know, they speak over 200 languages, so there's always help there. Uh, I know I've called it before in a corner crime because I didn't know what was happening with my mom. And, yes, they, they, they help out a lot, more than people can imagine. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm just going to ask Dr. Epps if she has anything that she'd like to add in um, regarding some of the challenges that you see care partners struggling with. No, I think Camilla really covered everything, and I think it's really, it, it starts off with them just seeking help and knowing that they can't do it all by themselves. And I think that's what I've kind of seen when I go out or when I run into people. They're trying to do it all by themselves. I've had friends that say, I'm going to call after I get it taken care of. <laughs> and I'm like, no, that's not the point. The point is for you to call first but so you can get help to get it taken care of. And I think especially um, women, we try to do it all. <laughs> and yep. we have this superwoman syndrome. Um, and, you know, that that can be very challenging um, for caring for the person you're, that has dementia, and also for yourself, caring for yourself. So I think that's one of the initial things is seeking help from the beginning, Um and knowing, and that's why, like, I support Camilla going out, letting people know that there is resources and there is help out there. Um, so if it's not going to the church setting, it's utilizing some other resources so they can get the help from the beginning. Um, and that's the main thing. But, again, in the African-American community, so many people are diagnosed late. So, you know, that brings on a whole other set of challenges, Lori, you know, because they – don't want to get um, tested early, or again, they're not knowing how it impacts our community. And then by the time they're diagnosed, it's very late in the moderate to the late stages. Um, so that can be challenging for families, especially if they don't have any um, plans together as it relates to fun- financial end of life, you know. Yeah. And I don't know, Camilla, yeah. did, do you have anything to share about that piece? Let me get her back yeah. on here. You're on. Go ahead. Yes, as I go out into this community educating a population on Alzheimer's, I find that we, the African-American community, uh, do not believe in early diagnosis, which is really critical. Uh, we you know, we look at grandma and granddad, oh, they just crazy, they just running around, let them be, but they could actually suffer from some sort of dementia, but in our mindset, that's the norm for us, so we don't do anything about it, so I stress the fact that you got to get them out there, you got to get them into the doctor, you got to get the early diagnosis uh, so you'll know exactly what you're dealing with, but that is a challenge for the African-American community as well. So, therefore, by the time they get them to the doctors, like Dr. Epps said, you know, they're in the moderate stage. And you've been out there struggling trying to deal with this on your own, or they were just left alone and just, 
go through the motions, and it's, it's just not the right thing to do. So I have some deep conversations with families uh, that have waited to get their loved ones diagnosed, but I, also, I definitely stress early diagnosis is key. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, there's more and more people are getting diagnosed younger and younger um, with this disease. And, you know, my mom lived with it for 30 years. So she she was actually misdiagnosed the first 10. Uh, doctors kept telling her it was her hormones. <laughs> and she just kept saying, this ain't my girlfriend's hormones. You know, she, she knew. Um, but the autopsy showed definitely um, in fact, the, the neurologist that I work with here in Minnesota said he's never seen a brain so atrophy. But then he said, well, you would expect that for someone who is living that long with the disease. And so there can be really good life to be lived with the disease, but then we have to know how to care for them and how to adapt ourselves um, and adjust. So, I, you know, I always tell people it's it's just another stage. It doesn't have to be viewed as the last stage. And, and you know, if we don't if we don't address these things, we're really losing precious time um, to to live life fully and to have discussions and and do the things that we want to do um, and to be able to plan plan for the future. So I I, I agree. I think that's very important. Now, I, you know, like Camille, it sounds like you have had. Um, a rewarding experience with with your mom, even though there's been some some challenges and stuff. Can you talk a little bit about some of the rewards, um, you know, and then again some of the the physical and emotional taxing times, um, maybe that you that have personally touched you as examples for our audience. Well, one of the uh, most challenging ones, and that really got. Uh, to me uh, was my family. Uh, when my mom was uh, diagnosed, uh, we actually split. Uh, we had two that were in denial. We had two that was in the acceptance, wanted to do all we could do for mom to help her uh, get her the proper care that she needed. Uh, and that became an ugly situation. And there are a lot of families out there that are in the same situation as mine. But I was able to get the help that was needed to bring my family back together. And this started in 2014, and I actually just started speaking and sharing with my sister as late as last year. So it it does take a toll on the family if you don't come together as one and try to understand what your loved ones are going through and and help each other, uh, especially when you have the side that's in denial. And denial is something hard for a family to come to grips when you see your loved one suffering as Alzheimer's or some sort of dementia can do to your loved one. What I found to be most rewarding is that I got to know my mom. I got to learn about her things that she did as a child, things that have affected her as a child. And she is actually, when she talks about it, I can actually put it together for her because I've learned what she went through as a child. But if I had not been able to communicate with her, I would not know what she's been through at an early age because in her mind, what she did 30, 40 years ago is today. And you have to understand that when when she's trying to put her sentence structure together at the state of uh, Alzheimer's that she's in now, so that's what I found to be very rewarding. And my mom is such a humble person. Uh, even when she goes into uh, sundowning, she is still such a humble individual. And, you know, something she say when she says to me, Camille, I want to go home. You know, I just take and hug her and kiss and say, I know, Mom, but you're here with me right now, and let's stay together. You have to console them. And that is so rewarding to see her smile and she talks with her eyes more than she does with her mouth. But that's what I found to be very rewarding with my mom. Yeah, I know if for, for my experience, and I've, I've said this a zillion times on the radio, but I'll say it again. I, it, it To me, our relationship grew in such depth that um, it really almost was a religious experience in and of itself because the levels of unconditional love that I wasn't aware existed 
because you had to pay more attention. You had to be um, more attentive. You, you had to read those nonverbals. To me, we were just connected on this intense level, yet comfortable. It was, it was just so fluid between us. Um, that there was this understanding of of love and acceptance, like I've never ever felt. Yeah, pretty. I agree with that. Yeah, it was pretty pretty powerful stuff. And so I think, you know, if we can get if we can kind of shift away from a lot of the the stigmas and and realize that a person with dementia can live fully and that they can still give back, you know, to their friends and their family and their congregation. Well, then, then you're creating this whole other environment. And so I'm going to pull uh, Dr. Ebsen right now and just talk a little bit about, you know, letting go of that stigma and, and how, do we, how do we educate people and get them comfortable? Because we've been sold kind of a bill of goods for many, many years that this is, this is really a, a bad, bad thing and it's the end of the road and, you know, get your papers in order and, um you know, and we kind of blamed all behaviors or reactions on the disease, and we kind of push aside even general personality traits that maybe somebody had, and everything just kind of gets blamed on dementia once it walks in the door of a family. Um, how do we how do we help people through that process, Dr. Up? I think um, education is key, and it's just not educating the family or the community. Um, I don't want. I know we have not spoken about too much about providers, but also educating them. <laughs> because usually that's where families get that doomness. Because once they receive the diagnosis, the, you know, that might be the next thing from a provider is, okay, you have so many months. You know, they just they say things that are not on the positive where it doesn't look like, you know, my mom or dad can have some meaningful living, you know. And so I think education all around is key and changing, uh, shifting the perception of how we look at dementia as a whole. We know what the disease process is. Um, That's out there. We know what's going to happen. But there's other things that can be tapped into so that person and that family, not just that person, but the family can really live. And that's what I focus on is how we can have that quality of life now while we're going through this journey together. And, um, again, I think it really starts off the education, but it's educating everyone, and especially mm-hmm. the providers, the health care providers, so they'll know that it's not the end of the road when someone gets a diagnosis. And then making sure the family and the community understand as, as well. And I think once that happens, we can get past that. And then also the stigma that's associated with it, there's more people talk about it. They're more common. So, like, when I attend gatherings, um, I bring it up. So no one would think at a birthday party, no one wants to talk about dementia or Alzheimer's or anything like that, but I bring it up because one of the questions is, oh, so what kind of work do you do? <laughs> okay. Yep. And that just opens, gives me the platform to tell you what I'm doing. And you'll be amazed that friends I've been with for 10 years, I had no clue that their mother was living with dementia and they said, oh, my mama has that. So, and then someone else said, oh, we just put our mom in a nursing home with that. You know, and so it's like now we're talking about it, and that's what I think also needs to happen. We cannot be ashamed. There's so many families that I go to, African-American families, and I ask them to come with me. And so I thank you, Camilla, for coming with me on this show. But I ask them to come in and speak and share your story, but they don't want to. And until we open up and be able to share our story, not be ashamed of it, um, There, we can't really move beyond and help each other out. So we all oh. can go through this journey together. I, I so agree with you. In fact, it's funny when you were talking about uh, healthcare providers. I, when I was, I was in real estate for 25 years and I worked in the senior market. So I was very connected with all the senior housing and it was actually those colleagues that really pushed me into going and doing what I'm doing. They're like, we need to hear your story because you you have found this place where it's not all doom and gloom. And so many people, that's what they were, they've been taught over the years and it's been passed down. And, and when we have, you know, large 
beliefs like that within our community, it, it's not going to change overnight. But I think the other key thing to the education is the inclusiveness of also hearing and learning from the people with dementia and the families. I have learned mm-hmm. so much because they're, they're living it every day. I was one person with, with one mother, you know, but if we can collectively gather these stories and this great sense of information and then, and then you really learn too that everybody is an individual and just because they have dementia doesn't mean, you know, one size is going to fit all. And, and as care partners and as business professionals, we want that because that would make our life easier. But yet we wouldn't want to be viewed like that. We don't, we want our individuality. We want our dignity. We want our freedom. You know, uh, we want choice. And a person with dementia is absolutely no different. And I think, you know, for me, one of the important factors in that communication process and that educational process is really about trying to get people to see how much more common we are um, and, and how much alike we are than, than different. And, and to me, that makes a big shift in relationships because there's not that, there isn't as much fear then when people understand the whys behind the behavior, which really, I don't even like that word. I'd like to switch that to reaction because we term it a behavior because it doesn't fit in our little box, but their reaction is perfectly logical for them. And once we teach people why that is, you know, and to help them become investigators, that there's a, there's a reason there's a reaction, a negative reaction, or um, they're trying to tell us something, but they don't, they don't have the words for it at the moment. And um, everything can everything can switch. I think once there's that that understanding, but it has to be not just statistical based. And that's what I like what what you guys are talking about. You know, you're talking about kind of that this this holistic all of life in terms of how you're looking at the person with dementia, and how do you how do you get them comfortable, and then how do we become comfortable with things. It's not just about memorizing facts. It's about truly understanding human needs and and the process of relationship and how do we how do we maintain that, you know, within within us. Because so many I think families can lose their relationship and and just turn into this this taskmaster. And I'm gonna pull uh, Camilla in and just see if she has anything that she'd like to add. Camilla, anything you'd like to yeah. add? Well, I, I just go back to the fact that Alzheimer's, the people that are affected by Alzheimer's, we need to understand that they're there. They're there somewhere. And, you know, don't cast them away or, you know, hide from them or, or be ashamed of them because they're there. And we just have to understand that, um, you know, it. And a lot of people don't. They want to just shy away from them. They don't want to take them anywhere. They think they should be left at home and just. And and I just don't like that at all because they're there. They're they're in there somewhere. You just have to learn how to communicate with them, how to understand what they're going through as well because they communicate very well. But you just have to understand how to communicate with them and understand that they're still there. Uh, and I found within the community, a lot of us, like Dr. Epps said, you know, we are ashamed, ashamed of them. Uh, you know, I've been with my mom. She's had outbursts in public. Uh, we were uh, sitting having uh, dinner uh, in the cafeteria, and all of a sudden, mom just thought everything was funny. It was real loud. And it got so quiet in the cafeteria, you could have dropped a pen on the floor and heard it hit. You know, and I went on with the day. I, I, you know, it didn't bother me, but everybody else in the surrounding didn't understand that. And, you know, mom, she went on. But they need to understand that what's wrong with her, it, it, it's, it's okay because it's her. Yep. Yep. Um, and we yeah. really don't. Um, and that's it. <laughs> I get so emotional, you know, about it because, 
you know, I see so much in the community. I see when I take my because I take my mom wherever I go, just about grocery store, uh, the mall, everywhere. And you know, we we've, we've seen some things. Mom has done some things uh, that people are not used to seeing, and they really didn't know how to react to it. Not by no means whatsoever. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I I realized through my journey with my mom, that there were two sets of people that would ask how my mom was doing. And one really cared, and the other one wanted wanted to give me permission to not have to go see her. Because if, if I didn't go see her, then I wouldn't talk about it. Because they were so uncomfortable with the conversation. And I thought, how sad. And again, that goes back to, you know, we've got to have this uh, this awareness and these these campaigns of education and and compassion and it, it's just it's so important for people to to accept things. I mean, people have meltdowns at all ages all the time. My my son-in-law said he went to IKEA the other day and he had the two girls and they were shopping for two hours, which is a long time for a four and an eight-year-old. And he said, then they went to the checkout line, and he says every line was 15 people deep, and the four-year-old just had a meltdown. So he just sat on the floor and cradled her in line. <laughs> and he, he said, you know, and, and he said, I was getting all these looks from people. And he said, one with a very, very small baby. And, and he just thought, just wait, you'll understand something. <laughs> but he said, I, you know, I'm not going to check out. But he also said, you know, what was really sad is not one person asked us, would you like to move forward in the line, which would have Absolutely. distressed everybody and, and just helped things along. But, you know, we, we protect our space. You know, we stay in line and we don't, it, we don't reach out. And that's just um, that's a, a misstep. I think we, you know, that's something we have to undo and we have to get back to that that base of, of community again. Um, Dr. Epson, in wrapping up here, um, do you have some, some final final words for us that you'd, you'd like to share? No, I just, I guess my final words, yes, I do have some final words. <laughs> my, my, my final words would be for us just to try our best to become more educated um, no matter what our role is in the community or in the healthcare system, is to become more educated and to support the families, just like the stories that we just shared, to support them and, you know, by by all means, um, and know that, you know, families cannot, the, the primary caregiver or that key care partner cannot do it by themselves. So it mm-hmm. takes us all um, and Try to just learn more about it so you can become more understanding and be able to support the families. Exactly. And don't forget Are to call here? on the church. Yep. <laughs> and if the church yep. don't know anything, tell them to call me. <laughs> exactly. And and it's a great chance to, to be able to educate. Do you use the purple angel symbol at all, the, the global dementia symbol, um, to, to help people in terms of just getting that conversation started? Are you familiar with that? Well, Purple Angel was started by Norm McNamara over in the UK, and he's been living with the disease over 10 years. And it's a free symbol for people to use. You just can't make money and sell coffee cups and things like that with it. But it's it's about leveraging this, this symbol, and people put it on their checks. You can put it on flyers. You can put it on all different kinds of things. I put it actually in, in my mom's obituary because I wanted to raise awareness and people are like, what, what is that? And then you have an opportunity to tell them about the cause, about this just dementia awareness movement that's going on in many different levels and stuff. But it's just a symbol of, of global acceptance and an awareness for the disease. And I can get you information on that if you're, if, if you're yes, interested. I would appreciate that. Yes. Okay. Wonderful. Uh, Camilla, anything else that you'd like to say? Yeah, definitely. I would like to add uh, for the community and all of those that are out there listening that if you uh, know of someone or you a in the care partner role or the caregiver role of someone that's affected by Alzheimer's, they're there. They're in there somewhere. Uh, treat them with dignity and respect. Uh, understand them and be there for them. And in the role that you're in, I want you to understand that you're not alone. 
There's plenty of help out there. There's plenty of financial support. Uh, there are the churches that provide the support and definitely the Alzheimer's Association. And I just want the world to remember that you're not alone. Great. I always say that they're not a shell of a body or even if they appear that way to some, that there's a bright spirit um, still in their soul that, that we're able to communicate with. Now, to get a hold of Dr. Epps, you can call her at 404 413 1204. That's 404 413 1204 to learn about uh, faith based research initiatives. And you can also call the Faith uh, Village Connection at 404 549 4504. Thank you both so much, ladies, for your time today. I really appreciate it very much. Have a wonderful week. God bless. Thank you. Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me. Listen now. Search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform. <laughs>